We continue our series from Ephesians, we're up to chapter 2. And our key verse tonight is uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. That the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so uh, we're going to go back a couple of verses earlier. Because uh, our top, uh, big thing tonight is what is the church to be built upon? And it's uh, fascinating that uh, everything has to be built upon something. And uh, so an interesting show the other day where uh, they were quite horrified by this house. It was about 15 years old and realized that the whole house had incredibly shoddy workmanship. And they said that uh, it was because the foundations were wrong in the first place, that everything else in the house has been twisted and, uh, and damaged as a result of bad foundations. And so it is today that uh, we need to make sure that the church's foundation is correct, because if the foundation is wrong, then everything that's built upon it is wrong. So going to some verses earlier, it reminds us the type of church that we belong to. So in Ephesians 2.17, it says, He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him, and peace to the Jews who are near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. So there's a strong sense that uh, uh, the, the true foundation for the church must always be Christ, his death upon the cross, and the grace that is uh, linked to it. Now when it comes to the temple of the Lord, we need to say, who is the church? In verse 19, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family together with all his house. We are carefully joined together in him. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling which God lives in by his spirit. So there's a sense that um, the church is one of lost people found, of uh, people who did not know Christ have been brought into a salvation faith. And then verse 22 tells us that if this is the case, if the church has got this, such a diversity of uh, influx of new people coming in, what do we be built upon? Uh, 2.22, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And uh, when I first started preparing the sermon, I uh, had my outline all worked out, and then I realised that... Uh, I'd done too much research or too much writing, and so I actually cut this sermon into three sections. So tonight, we're just going to get purely, what does it mean for us to be built upon the apostles? And so what was an apostle? Now the word apostle just simply means one who was sent out. Now in the New Testament, this word has two very strongly, distinctively different uh, uses. The first is we call the twelve apostles. And so they're they're seen as a uh, selected group within the disciples of Jesus. And so uh, they're the first use of apostle. And the second is a lot softer. It's a general term and refers to any individual who is sent out to be a messenger or an ambassador for Christ Jesus. So in churches who regularly say, oh, we've got apostles, uh, some like the Mormons would say, oh, we've got apostles like that first term. Uh, and the second would say, oh, no, we've got apostles that are people who are sent out. And the, the, the closest word we'd probably have in English today would be missionaries. And so missionary and apostle would be nearly synonymous terms in terms of a lot of our thinking. So the 12 apostles, however, held a very unique position. Now, it's interesting, the book of Revelation in chapter 21, referring to the New Jerusalem, it says, The walls of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the land. So there's a sense that uh, the 12 apostles have a very distinctive sense that they are the ones who laid uh, the, the, the beginning of the evangelistic uh, movement. They're the ones who went out and planted the first churches. 
And when it comes to the 12 apostles, uh, we're given their names. And so um, uh, it says here that uh, the names of the 12 apostles. Now it's interesting. Uh, what's one of the things when Jesus sent the apostles out, how did he always send them out? In twos. In twos. And so when we get the, the lists here, they've always uh, got the, the twos being linked together. So we can think of the 12 apostles as 12 apostles. Well, we can think of the 12 apostles as six groups of two, but also there's a, a number of times that he would link uh, two groups of twos and bring them together. And so the first two uh, groups is uh, Peter or Simon, and then uh, Peter's brother Andrew, they're seen as the first couplet, then James, the son of Zebedee, and uh, John, James's uh, brother, is the second couplet. And regularly find that th those four... Uh, like when Jesus uh, uh, does the transfiguration, they're the four who are part of that. And there are different times that um, this four were considered like the inner circle of the twelve. Now the next uh, group is Philip and Bartholomew, then Thomas, or Doubting Thomas as we call him, and Matthew the tax collector, then James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and then last uh, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, which is rather funny too because it's like saying... Uh, one is, belongs to the Greens Party and the other belongs to the One Nation Party. And these are the two that were put together to possibly soften each other, I don't know. And then we're going to realise, there's a sense of saying, well, how do we choose people? Like, uh, in churches today, we might say, oh, we'll have an election of the congregation to pick someone. Or we might say, uh, the leadership team may pick somebody. Or we might ring up head office of the Presbyterian Church and say, can you elect somebody? And so there's different ways that we could elect people. And so there's a sense we need to be looking at how does God uh, elect his apostles. So in Luke 6, it says this in verse 12. One day soon afterwards, Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. And he prayed to God all night. So in your head, you're thinking, well, you know, probably 6 or 7 p.m. at night, he leaves the disciples as it, uh, towards twilight and he wanders up and literally spends the whole night in prayer then verse 13, at daybreak, he called them together, all of his disciples, and from those disciples, he chooses 12 of them to be his apostles. So uh, the first thing we're going to say is that they were God-chosen, Jesus-chosen, and Jesus-chosen after a whole night in prayer. Well, imagine if we said we want to expand our eldership team and we say, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to let anyone in the church be able to vote as part of this process. And what you need to do is on Saturday night, uh, come to church, be here at 7 p.m. at night. We spend 7 p.m. and we stay in church until uh, 9.30 on Sunday morning. And just before church, we say the first thing on the agenda is all those who stayed the whole night will get you to be involved in the picking of people. I imagine... Together, this was just one Jesus on his own. This was just Jesus on his own, yeah. Yeah, it's a big difference. That's right. It's easy with a whole group of people. It'd be a lot easier. Um, all praying individually and, and taking turns. That's easy. But for Jesus to pray all that time is just. But it shows you also that the, the, the high priority mm. of what Jesus did. Then in, it's interesting in Acts chapter 1, verse 21, we find that uh, Judas Iscariot has committed suicide. And it goes on uh, in uh, Acts 1 to their response of the, uh, the early church. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were travelling with the Lord Jesus. So the first thing, they're a fellow traveller. 
Secondly, from the time he was baptised by John, so it tells you exactly how long he'd been there, until the day he was taken with us. So in other words, the whole of uh, Jesus' public ministry, you need to be an observer. And whoever is chosen will join us, and they need to be a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So one of the key things for the apostles is they're, uh, they're witnesses of the resurrection. Now it says, it's interesting, they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barabbas, also called Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Shows which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry? For he deserted us and gone to where he belongs. And then they basically tossed a coin. Then they cast lots. And Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. And so there's a sense of saying, well, we found uh, people who are suitable. Here are two people who are qualified. We'll toss a coin because it really doesn't matter who we think it should be. We'll leave it in God's hands, knowing that either of the two would be a good choice. Now, it's interesting, the Coptic Orthodox Church, when they come to elect their head, which is called a pope, uh, what they do is they will find and they'll go searching for people they think would be an appropriate future leader of their denomination, and they'll find three people who are appropriate. And then the three people all come to the cathedral, and their names are put into a hat, basically. <coughs> and a, a young boy, boy is called forth who goes out and pulls a name out of the hat. And, says, uh, and then people say, well, this is our new pope or our new leader. And the first thing he does nearly every single time is he says, I, I have no right to be the name that was called out of the hat. The other two guys are better than me. And then he'll regularly ask them to become his supportive, uh, like assistant helpers or whatever, uh, in ministry, because it's uh, seen that all three would be quite appropriate for that job. So it's just interesting how they do this. So what was the distinctives about being a, a disciple or apostle? The first is they were regularly uh, given extra distinctive teaching that others would not have. So we find in Mark uh, chapter 4, that when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others, he gathered them around and they asked him, what did the parables mean? General public got given the parables... The apostles were given the insights, what the parables were teaching. Then we find after Jesus' death upon the cross and his resurrection, in Luke 24, Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining what all the scriptures and the things that were concerning him. So there's a sense of thinking, what does Jesus do between his, uh, his resurrection and his ascension? He shows them how the scriptures spoke about him. Now we also find there are times when Jesus would uh, ask them penetrating questions to stretch them. So in Mark uh, chapter 8, Jesus and his uh, disciples leave Galilee and go up to the village of Caesarea Philippi. As they're walking along, he says, who do people think, say that I am? They responded, some say you are John the Baptist, others are Elijah, others say... You're one of the prophets. Then he asked him, but what do you say I am? Peter responds, you are the Messiah. Then Jesus warns him not to tell anyone about himself. He then goes on to say, well, right, you've discovered who I am. I am the Messiah, but I'm not the Messiah that you or anybody think I am. For in verse 31, then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He'd be killed, but three days later he'd be risen from the dead. And he talked about this openly with his disciples. So they got uh, regularly extra uh, distinctive teaching. He also gave them greater insights. They didn't him, they no, didn't grasp it. 
But he also gave deep, deeper insights about what type of people they were to be. So in Luke, uh, sorry, Mark 9, he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him. He said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be a servant to everybody else. So it's not just uh, theological teaching that they had uh, deeper insights into, but it was also the type of people and how they are to minister. And if you look at the Lord's Supper, they are the first people to do the Lord's Supper with Jesus. And then from them, it was uh, introduced to the whole church. So we need then to say to ourselves, well, if God chose 12 apostles who are distinctive from the rest of the disciples, what was their purpose? Now we get some insights uh, to this in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus sends out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles and Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. And then thirdly, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. And so we find uh, that same insight in Mark uh, chapter 3. He points to 12 as apostles. And what was their purpose? They were to accompany him. And they were sent out to preach. Then thirdly, give themselves authority to cast out demons. So there's a sense of them doing kingdom ministry, kingdom preaching, and uh, being with Jesus. So how does Jesus send them out? In uh, Mark uh, uh, chapter 6. He called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two in the authority to cast out demons. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Now, when the early church is formed, uh, obviously the 12 apostles from the day of Pentecost on were the very nucleus of the church. But they also had, to, as the church expanded, they had to say, well, when we're a small group, we could do anything. Now we're a big group. We need to really see what do we have to focus on. And they, they realized there were two key things. So in uh, Acts 6, then the 12 called the meeting of the believers, said, we apostles need to spend our time teaching the word of God. So the, the highest priority for an apostle was Bible teaching, not running a food program, which they've been sidetracked by. And so the brothers selected seven men who were well respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and they were given that responsibility. And it gives us the two key things to the apostles. Then the apostles can spend their time in prayer and teaching the word. Now I wonder how many people at Bible College would be given a very strong emphasis saying, right, you're here at college to become good Bible teachers. But I wonder how much time Bible colleges would also say, we need to equip you and train you to become good prayers. And seeing that prayer and Bible teaching is the two high priorities. So what made you an apostle? Uh, it was these 12 who were the first messengers of the gospel after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was these 12 apostles who were the foundation of the church, as we see here in Ephesians chapter 2. But the, uh, the key priority is that they were uh, witnesses of the resurrection. So um, uh, what do we call... Uh, what, um, we need to be asking ourselves then, if the early church had apostles... Why does the Presbyterian Church not have apostles? We have elders, we'll have deacons, we'll have people who are called moderators, uh, but that's pretty it when it comes to titles of hierarchy. You might have committee members in that sense there, uh, but we don't have people who are called apostles. We need to go back to the, uh, the New Testament and say, what would the, the key distinctives of being an apostle? 
The first is there had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. And of course, uh, that is something which is not available to us today. What about Paul? Uh, Paul did see Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, well, we saw the resurrected, well, the ascended Jesus in that case. So um, the second thing is they were explicitly chosen by the Holy Spirit. So uh, there's a sense it's the Spirit's job to choose who he appoints, not ours. And third, they were called to perform signs and wonders. So the original apostles were laying at the foundation of the church. And many would say that is a uniqueness, that the, the laying of the first church only happens once. It's a one-off event. Uh, we, we can build upon that church, but they're the ones who laid the foundations. So that's in terms of the distinctive 12 apostles. Well, we then need to say, so what about the, the second use of the people who would use as general apostles? What are some examples of that? The first is Bar- uh, Barnabas, is referred to as an apostle. So in uh, Acts 13, when he and Saul were out preaching, it says, one day as the men were worshipping the, uh, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. And there was a sense of saying, Well, Saul or Paul was called to be an apostle. Does that mean that uh, Barnabas was also called to be an apostle? And uh, we get a bit more insight when we turn to Acts 14, verse 4. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about these. Some sided with the Jews against them, some sided with the apostles. And who are they talking about? They're talking about Barnabas and Saul there. Now Andronicus uh, is possibly also identified as an apostle. So in Romans 6, 16 verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who are in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. So does that mean Paul is saying they're highly respected with the apostles, or treated as equal to the apostles, or as treated as like-minded to the apostles. And the same word that we use for apostle is used about Titus in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 23. If anyone asks about Titus, say that he is my partner who works with me to help you, and the brothers with him have been sent by the churches, they bring honour to Christ. And the brothers with him have been apostled, by the churches, they bring honour to Christ. So there's a, a bit of flexibility about this word apostle being used in a greater way. So if we t- look at that, we might turn and say, well, let's appoint apostles today. Is there a danger to that? And I think there is. So the, the problem with the people who want to try and restore apostleship is that they frequently, uh, those claiming the off- office of apostle, uh, really seek a- authority equal to the original uh, apostles, or even rivaling the original apostles, and they will regularly come out with uh, theologically distinctive teaching that is nowhere found in Scripture. And they say, oh, this is a new insight the Holy Spirit gave me that no one else had before then. And uh, there's absolutely no biblical evidence to support the understanding that the role of apostles should be around today. So were there people in Paul's day who were false apostles? Is this idea of the Mormon church with their apostles, this is a new thing or has this been around for 2,000 years? Now the reality is, um, New Testament, there were people who were not apostles who took that type of authority upon themselves. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
It gives us some insights to the type of people. So there in verse 4, uh, Paul says, You haven't put up with whatever anyone tells you. But then he says, Even if they preach a different Jesus than one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one that you have received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you have believed, I consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. So the first thing is that these people, when they call themselves apostles, were regularly distinctive, uh, regularly false, regularly in error. And uh, nearly any time I've ever come across anyone who calls himself an apostle, the first thing I know is that they will be theologically dodgy and they'll be off with the fairies. Now Paul's interesting. I actually think Paul was probably quite a gifted speaker. But here in this passage it says in verse 6, I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you with every possible way. And then in verse 12, This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. So there's a sense of elitism. Then in verse 13, These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Then verse 18. And since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. And this gives a bit of an insight the type of uh, things that these false apostles did. It says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. So there's a sense that they were obviously Jewish believers who had taken these uh, uh, super apostle titles upon themselves. But then Paul adds this extra cutting question. Are they servants of Christ? And of course the answer with those would be, no, they weren't servants of Christ. They were actually serving themselves. And then he goes and say, I know I sound like a madman. I've served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped time again without number and faced death upon death again and again. And of course these super apostles were talking about how elitist they were. Paul says the opposite. He says, I was a person, of, I was a servant. I was one who was beaten. So what are we to be today, we as Christians? So the term as apostle is probably an inappropriate term for us to use for ourselves. But the idea of being sent or being ambassadors is true for every Christian today. So in Matthew verse 28, we're called that we are to be sent. And what are we sent to do? Jesus came to his disciples and said, I've given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore go and make disciples. So the role of us as uh, those in leadership and those in churches is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all these commands I'm giving you. And be sure of this, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. So the highest priority for us as Christians is to disciple. And how do we disciple? By giving people Bible knowledge and uh, sharing the scriptures with them. So the sense of being sent Witnesses is a key one. The second key one is that of being ambassadors. So in 2 Corinthians 5, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So what does the role of ambassador do? He calls people to repentance. 
calls people to restoration, that we seek to be the words that Christ would speak to those people. So we're called to disciple, we're called to be ambassadors, but we're also called to be witnesses. So in Acts chapter 1, you will see the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, turn the people about me everywhere. So we may not have apostles, but we do have people who are ambassadors. We do have disciples, we do have witnesses, and what is the, the core thing that uh, that ministry has in common? That we share God's word. So in Romans chapter ten fifteen, And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Because that word sent is that word apostle again. That is why the scriptures will say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who brings good news. So what is the sign of the church? We are Bible based. We are disciples. We are witnesses by our words and by our actions. And that we seek to be Christ's servant with what we say and what we do. So this is the call upon the church and this is our foundation. Let's just bow heads in prayer. Father God, please help us not be sidetracked by elitism. Forgive us for the times that we arrogantly think that we are far more right than anybody else. Father, may we always be passionate people of your word. May we hunger to serve you as servants and give you the glory.